fundamentally what we found and wanted to expose was that kids in California don't have the same types of supports and opportunities that kids in other states do. There has been a lot of work to really improve the environment that, that uh, you know, we want to see in public schools. A lot of reforms have occurred. We have not stepped up on the investment side. And in fact, that means that we don't have enough adults on campus. You know, we can only push so far without also uh, investing in the resources to help educators be successful and, and ultimately support student outcomes. Welcome to Adventures in Ed Funding, a new podcast series presented by CASBO, the California Association of School Business Officials. I'm Paul Richmond, and I'll be your guide as we trek through the surprisingly fascinating world of schools, money, and California's future. In this episode, we'll have an adventure with Samantha Tran, a public education policy expert and Senior Managing Director at the nonprofit organization Children Now. They recently released a research brief comparing a typical California high school to similar schools in two other states. What they found, she says, was jarring. We staff our schools because we're under-resourced at like three-fourths the level of what, what kids in other states experience. And so that means we have the among the worst ratios of adults to kids. Um, we have the highest you know, class sizes, uh, the lowest a number of administrators, counselors, nurses, social workers, any kind of adult you can imagine on campus, uh, we have less of them. And that means that kids get a whole less lot of opportunities, less courses, less uh, curricular activities, uh, fundamentally less support. And that's most um, impactful for our most vulnerable kids. In its research, Children Now identified what it considers to be a typical California high school. Then they compared this school to similar typical high schools in two other states. So much of this conversation, uh, you know, we start using really big numbers, billions of dollars that, that, that need to be invested. And while those are stark and real, it's hard to sometimes get your head around that. And so what we wanted to do in, in approaching this brief was to put a face on the experience that, that kids in California have and, and compare that a bit to what's happening across the nation. And so in California, we picked a t typical high school, uh, Gunderson High School of 1,000 kids, about 60% of kids who are living uh, in, in poverty, and then uh, looked at comparable schools in Illinois and uh, New Jersey, two states that invest more than California, um, just to see what that, that experience looks like for kids. We'll come back to the study in a minute, but first I wanted to share a quick story about Samantha, because I think it's an important window into who she is as an education advocate and also as a person. She grew up attending a high school in San Jose, not too far away from the school, Gunderson, that they looked at in the study. She says her school was actually a little less typical, and he had even higher needs. She wound up earning a master's degree in education policy from Stanford University. And now, Samantha has a child of her own in the public schools. My daughter, uh, Sophia, is 12 and a half, goes to a local middle school, a budding teenager. <laughs> and does she know what her mom works on for a living? She does, in fact. Um, I've, uh, I've been pretty engaged uh, in her school as well, and, and she's uh, fond of telling her friends and teachers, my mom's a kid's advocate, <laughs> which is very sweet. 
And so when you talk to your daughter about uh, the issues you work on, things like school funding, do her eyes glaze <laughs> over or how do you know? Well, you know, I try and talk about it in ways that, that uh, resonate with her, right? So her personal experience. In fact, when she was in kindergarten, kindergarten and first grade was when we were in the Great Recession in California. And at her elementary school, they didn't have enough toilet paper. So parents were bringing in toilet paper to make sure that, you know, you know kids had that that sanitary uh, support, right? And uh, she she really struggled with, I don't understand why, you know, we're so under, you know, why, why this is happening at our school. And so, you know, it, it's a teachable moment. It was um, a hard moment. Um, and, you know, we've, we built since then, um, but it still, I think, grounds her in that experience of it's, it's never certain that we're going to have enough. So in the report, you talk about if, if a parent from one of these other states that spends more on their schools came to California, that they would be shocked. Mm-hmm. What would shock them about California's schools? So I think a number of things. And, and let's just look at Gunderson, for example. Um, teachers at Gunderson, one, there's there's a whole lot less of them. Um, they typically have, uh, you know, a class size of, of about 30 students and, you know, five periods. So 150 students that they're working with every day. Um we know that there's less special education student or teachers at that at that school site. So there's, I think, we we found there were seven special education teachers providing that more intensive support and opportunities uh, for kids. You compare that, uh, for example, to our our high school in uh, Illinois at Urbana, and uh, what we found is that the the teacher to a child ratio is closer to twenty to one, um, and in, in fact they had fourteen special education teachers, so double the number um, that that um, Gunderson had. Um, also, we looked at like clubs and extracurricular activities at Gunderson. Folks were really excited that they had eight clubs uh, for, for kids to choose from and, and various um, athletics programs. In New Jersey, uh, there were 40 different opportunities uh, for kids to uh, learn whether it was robotics or drama or, you know, just so many different opportunities. And we know that those types of um, supports are what really get kids excited about school. It, it gets them engaged. It keeps them at school. And so the fact that, you know, children in Illinois and New Jersey have so much more, it really is a statement about, you know, what California is willing to do to step up for, for students. So one of the things that that you found in this research is that clearly there's fewer teachers per student at a typical California school, but also there are fewer other professionals in staff. Can you talk a little bit more about some of, you know, what are those other resources and professionals and staff that California students have less access to? Yeah, every category of adult that you can think of on campus, California is near the bottom, if not at the bottom. So we have uh, less counselors than virtually every state in the nation. We have less social workers. We have virtually no school nurses, it, it seems, when we looked at some of the data across the state. And in fact, we're at the bottom of the nation. We also have less administrators. Um, and so just fundamentally, there's not enough adults uh, working day in and day out with kids. Okay, just between you and me, though, aren't adults a little bit overrated? <laughs> 
my daughter might agree with you, but um, fundamentally, we, we know from the research that it really is about adult child interaction that makes the difference. You know, teachers make the difference. And if they're overwhelmed and there's too many, you know, they're, they're working with lots of kids, it's really hard to develop those strong, caring, ongoing relationships. And that's core. And so adults fundamentally matter. The report also looked at the types of courses typically available to California students compared with states that invest more money. What we found at Gunderson was, you know, there was really a focus on creating pathways for kids to go to college. And so they had a very strong focus on on that kind of college prep, which was great. Um, But they weren't able to do much outside of that in terms of a a lot of electives or, you know, a lot of variation around the coursework. So, for example, when we looked at um, New Jersey, they had a ton more math offerings. So a variety of of ways that kids could engage in in learning um, and and tailor kind of how they progressed through through high school, which was was really interesting and and. Um, exciting to see that, you know, those opportunities were in New Jersey and Illinois and then disheartening to see that they weren't, uh, you know, we didn't have the same capacity in California. And the, the lack, the comparative lack of extracurricular activities in clubs, that, that's stunning. It was really dramatic to, you know, to, to be able to look at the types of things they had in in New Jersey and even Illinois. Um, I mean, 40 different uh, clubs after school. And really what that's about is you have to have enough adults on campus who, you know, have the support to be able to offer those clubs. And if if the adults are, you know, just enough to cover the core coursework and they're having caseloads of 150 kids, you know, it's then much more challenging to think about providing all these different after-school clubs and opportunities and, and providing the resources for that. You're one of our great advocates for kids in California, and I, I fear that we're at risk of losing you to New Jersey. <laughs> No, I want to fight to make sure that California steps up and and actually provides this for our kids. I mean, one out of eight kids lives in California. If we don't do right here, you know, we're not doing right by the rest of the nation. And so no fear of that. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Remember, too, the Children Now Brief looked at a typical California high school. If we went to other schools around the state or even in other states, We'd likely see a lot of variation in terms of the course offerings, the after-school programs, and the way the schools are staffed. But, Samantha says... I think the fundamental issue of the resource constraint is is the same across across California. It's just each community is adapting to it in their own way. Um, what we do see, though, is that systematically we don't have enough adults on campus. However, they're trying to configure the coursework or the after school programs or you know the different um, intensive services for our most vulnerable kids. Uh, it fundamentally comes back to that core theme that there's not enough adults. It should be clear by now that if you're a student at a typical school in California, your school experiences and opportunities are going to be a lot less than they'd be in other states that invest more in your education. But how did it come to this? How did California wind up in this place? I think it's really important to note that we haven't always been here, right? So in the 1960s, 
Californians spent about 4% of their personal income on public education. And that meant we had a whole lot more opportunities for kids. In fact, if we invested at the same level, it would be an, an additional $17 billion in, in public schools. And, and so, you know, thinking about that history, how did we get here? I think, you know, there were a, a series of events. Um, it, it really did start with, you know, the, the change in how we tax property taxes, you know, Prop 13. Um, it meant a whole lot less resources for schools. Around the same time, there was litigation that said, you know, California has a responsibility to invest in schools, not just based on their property taxes. And so the state took over a lot of the, the funding. Um, and over time, you know, the different competing interests uh, has meant that that public education has gotten less and less and, and, and become less of a priority in terms of our investment. So if we just invested the same percent in our schools that we probably did when I was mm-hmm. going to elementary school, we wouldn't be so underfunded? Indeed, indeed, we'd be above the national average if we invested at that same level. So if we invested at 4%, it would be an additional $17 billion. If we invested at the national average, it'd be an additional $11 billion. I think that the, the interesting comparison, though, is also against uh, Illinois and New Jersey, the, the two schools that we were talking about. If we invested at Illinois' level, it'd be an, an additional se- uh, $27 billion. And if we really prioritize like New Jersey did, it would be an additional $37 billion. So this is not about a lack of capacity or an inability to do it. It really is about leadership and priorita- you know, prioritizing kids. Just curious, how many adults would $27 billion buy? (laughs) Would every student have their own personal adult professional staff? We are not asking for a pony for every child, I promise you. What we are suggesting is that California actually provide the resources so that kids in this state have what the typical kid does in other other parts of the nation. You know, it is is about providing opportunities at a level that um, is more comparable. Uh, to where the rest of the United States is. By the way, we followed up with the National Pony for Every Child Association after this interview, and they confirmed that California is, in fact, not asking for that. So you asked this question in the report, and I want to kind of put it back to you. What if California invested in its schools at the same levels that New Jersey did. What would we see in our schools then? I think there's a lot of things we can imagine seeing. Uh, One is, as part of that investment, I do think uh, investing in our youngest learners is really critical. So, you know, preschool age kids. And we can imagine a world where, you know, they come to school confident, ready learners. They're, they're excited about learning. They, they know what it means to, to come to school and they're going to have that support. We can imagine a community where teachers can afford to live in that community and where they are getting the professional support to really dig in to their practice and they're ready to support a class size of 
kids that is you know more typical compared to the rest of the nation where they don't have 30 kids but maybe it's closer to, to 20 kids and they're able to get into real projects and an opportunity to do collaborative learning that kids who are struggling with uh, you know a health issue or having experienced trauma actually has other adults on campus who can provide immediate direct support and or make sure that the family has access to other supports in the community. You know, we could see kids who are going off to high school thinking about college who actually have counselors who are looking out for them and making sure that they're on the right path to, you know, where they want to be once they graduate and that they are getting a lot of those different opportunities after school, not only to pad their college application, but actually to fundamentally be engaged and enjoy school. And then we could see graduation rates you know, going up and kids successfully transitioning into their adult lives. I think there's there's a lot of opportunities that we concede. And I know people out there will say, well, money's not everything. And it's not. But without it, it's really hard to do these things. So when all's said and done, where do you think things stand for our state? I see educators every day stepping up, you know, like really working to, to be there for our kids and, and do the work that's needed. I do think that, you know, this does require us all to collectively step up and sometimes it's it's easier to say, "Oh no, it's fine. Everything's everything's okay. We don't have to worry about it." Until you actually walk on a school campus, right? And you you walk on a school campus com- again compared to other school campuses and you realize, "No, we we really aren't we really aren't investing. Money provides the opportunity to invest in having more adults working with kids and invest in the types of services that they need. In 1970, one out of every three Californians was a kid, right? That, that was you and me, right? One of every three of us was, was a kid and you know we're the folks who are driving the economy right now. By 2030, because of declining birth rates, um, we think that the estimate is about only one out of every five uh, Californians is going to be a kid. And so, you know, people have less exposure to school campuses and there's less kids. And I think it also raises the fundamental issue that if you don't come at this from a moral perspective, like many of us do, that every kid matters, you better believe it from an economic perspective, because there are not going to be enough children funding our economy in, in the future generation. Every single one of them, their success matters if we're going to be successful, you know, as a state. Many thanks again to our guest, Samantha Tran, Senior Managing Director for Education Policy at Children Now. Their research brief, Underfunded California Schools Provide Less Support for Kids, can be found in our podcast show notes on the casbo.org website and also at childrennow.org. Before we close this episode, let's bring back CASBO's CEO and Executive Director, Molly McGee-Hewitt, into the conversation. To reflect some on what we've heard, Molly, does what we learned from the report about the comparative lack of access to adults on campuses, does that surprise you? It doesn't surprise me, but it saddens me. And so what is the role of adults on the campus, whether they're in teaching positions or support positions? It's to guide and serve students, and it's to provide opportunities. And as I look at the education that I received, uh, and I graduated from high school in the early 70s, if I look at the number of people on the campus, the services I had, they were far greater than our students have access to today. 
And also, if we look at that report and we look at comparing the experiences, what do those experiences really mean long-term to students? And I think one of the things that we have always known is that students involved in athletics or extracurricular activities or music or band, et cetera, tend to have better attendance. They tend to have better academic performance. Uh, They tend to have less emotional issues. And when we don't have opportunities for children to express themselves at all ages, whether it's in the arts or other areas of even academics, you know, when I was in high school, there was a club for almost everything on campus. There was a chance for you to find a niche, a chance to find a place where you fit in. And I worry today that there are not those niches for students, especially at the high school level. You're discovering who you are as a person. You're finding out your interests. It's a very difficult uh, mentally and emotional time of your life. And those opportunities that are present in other states, not so much as ours, I think that that gives you more opportunities to navigate more effectively. Well said, Molly. And that's where we'll leave things for today. Thank you so much for joining us for this first episode in our new series. Our show is produced by the California Association of School Business Officials. Molly Schlange is the president. Molly McGee-Hewitt is the CEO and executive director. Mixing, editing, and theme music are all provided by the one and only Tommy Dunbar. Original art by 2B Communications. And I'm Paul Richman, your trusty guide. Be sure to subscribe to our series on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, while you're there, give us a review and help us get the word out about the new show. We'll see you next time for more Adventures in Ed Funding.